James chapter number 5 tonight, and I'd like to begin reading in verse number 1 to give us a little bit of context, but our preaching will be from verse 7 down to verse 12 this evening. But James chapter 5, verse number 1, the Word of God says, Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is kept of you kept back by fraud, crieth. And the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. Ye have lived in pleasure on the earth, and been wanton. Ye have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. Ye have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. Now notice with me verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receive the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job. And have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and tender, and of tender mercy. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath. But let your yea be yea, and your nay be nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. Let's pray together. Lord, I love you tonight. I thank you for loving me. I thank you for loving each and every person in this world. And Lord, I thank you for uh, the particular love that you shed abroad in our hearts uh, by the Holy Ghost for those of us that know you personally. Lord, I pray tonight you'd encourage us in your word. And I pray that you'd open these truths to our hearts for your glory. Lord, we ask all these things in Christ's precious and holy name. Amen. I want to preach to you tonight on a word that we find on five different occasions in the five verses that we have read tonight. And I'm sure that you probably noticed it as I read in verse number 7, the Bible says, Be patient, therefore, and then talks about the farmer who watches for the harvest, says he hath long patience for it. Verse 8 tells us to be also patient, establish your hearts. And then uh, down in verse number 10, we're told about the Old Testament prophets who were an example of suffering affliction and of patience. And then in verse 11, we're reminded of the patience of Job. On five occasions in these verses, the word patience is set before us. And uh, the title of the message this evening, I want to preach on the virtue of patience. Now, when we talk about patience, inevitably we associate it with the idea of waiting. Now, I think it's true that obviously where we don't have to wait, we don't necessarily have to be patient. I think it is folly to make the idea of patience and waiting synonymous. I think we do a disservice to the biblical idea of patience when we reduce it to merely the fact that we're waiting on something. Here's the fact of the matter, and you know this to be true, that most of the time when we have to wait, if we could change it, we would change it. We don't choose to wait, but we can choose to be patient in our waiting. You've heard me say before that patience is waiting with a right spirit and with right actions. In other words, patience is not the act of waiting. 
uh, even though we associate the two together, but patience is rather how we wait and what we do with our time while we wait. You know, if I wanted to boil down what patience is, I, I believe we could maybe summarize it with this thought, that patience is a right estimation of the value of the present. Let me say that again. I really want you to get that. Patience is a right estimation of the value of the present. You know what we have a bad problem with doing as human beings and as believers too? We have a bad problem with doing nothing so that one day we can do something. We spend a lot of time talking about how we're going to do stuff when things change. Well, the reality is there may be some things in your life that cannot be done until a circumstance changes. But patience dictates that we do not emphasize what we can't do, but we emphasize what we can do for the Lord right now. In other words, patience is the motivation to do that which is within our grasp at the moment that we can do it. It is waiting, but it is waiting in the right spirit, and it is waiting with the right activity and motivation. I notice five little thoughts in the message tonight that I want to share with you in these verses of Scripture that I think are worth noting about being patient. Now, again, remember, just because you're waiting, that don't mean you're being patient. How many Anybody that's ever raised a child knows that's true. Amen? Because your child, you can tell them to wait, and they can wait, but that doesn't mean they're waiting patiently. When the same context and idea... The future event that is brought into view in verse number 7 is the coming of the Lord. Now, the reason I read the first six verses was to give you a little bit of context in which James is dealing here. Uh, the six verses that begin the fifth chapter of the book of James are probably the most Old Testament verses in all of the New Testament. And what I mean by that is they are not necessarily a quote of Old Testament passages, but they have the ethos and the feel of Old Testament passages. And I think there's a reason for that. Of course, James is one of the Hebrew Christian epistles, and he's writing to Jewish believers in the first century. century. And I believe the reason he wrote that was to remind them that all the promises that God had given to Israel of old were still true, and they were all going to be fulfilled at the coming of the Lord. And he reminds them that God is not uh, ignorant, and God is not deaf, and God is not blind to the oppression that was taking place in the world at that time. But that this oppression and affliction and persecution was no excuse for them to lay idle in their service to the Lord. I wonder if we were to define our Christian walk, and I understand who I am in Christ is not defined by what I do, but the kind of Christian I am is defined by how I behave. And I wonder if we were to look and examine our life, do we look like people that are busy for the Lord? Do we look like people that are doing what we can while we can? Or do we look like people that have instead taken many of the promises of God and used them not as, as sort of a crutch to help us go on, but rather used them as a couch for a reason for us to sit down and not serve the Lord? Once you notice three or five things, I'm so used to saying three things, amen, but five things. And I'm going to do my best for the simply the listening of the sermon tonight to not be an exercise in patience. Somebody say amen to that. Once you notice in verse 7, we have a word about the expectation of patience. The Bible says in verse 7, 
Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Now, that's what we're looking for, and that's what we as New Testament believers should be looking for. In other words, we're not looking for a, a sign in the heavens. We're not looking for a meteorite or an asteroid or a blood moon or, or, or a milk moon or whatever it might be. We're not looking for the Antichrist. We're not uh, looking for a temple to be rebuilt. Now, I'm not saying that those things are not going to happen. I'm just saying that's not what we ought to be looking for. We're looking for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. Let me say that patience is something that looks forward in expectation. Patience is centered around the reality that things are not always going to stay the way they are right now. We are being patient with the time that we have now, meaning we're being proactive and busy for the Lord because we know there's going to come a time that that's going to change. And why do we know that? I want you to notice two things that are acknowledged. The analogy that James gives is that of a farmer, a husbandman, and says that this husbandman, every year he takes dead seed and he puts it in the ground and he waters it and the sun shines upon it. And he waits patiently, oftentimes when he can see no outward visible sign that anything's changed underneath the ground. He waits on it because of two reasons. One, because there is a precedent. In other words, the reason he's being patient is because he knows that uh, the same seed that came up last year out of the same plants, the seed that came off of those plants should come up this year and it should follow on in that course. Listen, the first mark of patience is to understand the promises of God. That what God said would be true is true and will come true. There's a precedent. Now, somebody's going to say or probably think in their mind, but preacher, there's no precedent for the second coming of the Lord. I mean, the rapture has never happened. And while we could say that that's true in some sense, although I think there's a strong argument that if Jesus kept His Word coming the first time, He's going to keep His Word coming the second time. But even beyond that, we do have the precedent of the promise of God. In other words, God has promised that if we would patiently serve Him and live for Him, we would be rewarded both in this life and in the life to come. There is a precedent. In other words, we're not just being able, being told to, to wait patiently without any basis or foundation of that. We know that God keeps His promises. You know what a lot of us are guilty of? When things get tough, we quit on God. And oftentimes we quit before uh, much time has even expired. We throw in the white flag before we've even really begun to fight. You say, preacher, how do we remedy that? We remedy that by acknowledging that despite our outward circumstances, despite our inward turmoil, that God's promises remain true no matter what happens in our life. We have a precedent for trusting the promises of God. But then notice that he is patient because he understands not only that there is a precedent, but he understands there is a process. The Bible says he hath long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. In other words, why is he waiting? He's waiting because he understands that it doesn't spring up overnight. How often we need to be reminded that the things that we do serving God do not always, they will always bear fruit, but they won't always bear it overnight. We expect things to change immediately. But we need to understand that there's a process to everything God does. There's a purpose and a plan and a path that, to everything that God does. And it doesn't always include just you. You imagine what would happen if uh, you could sprout harvests just continually back to back. You understand what happens during the winter time? 
Uh, we just got through a couple weeks ago getting our garden spot ready for next year. And what does that involve? Well, it involves cutting down all the dead stuff that was left over. But then you have to plow it under the ground. And unseen to the farmer's eyes, there are mechanisms in nature that are breaking down that waste, that are breaking down uh, the deadness of those old plants. And the farmer, all through winter, he can't see that happening. But he has faith that God has uh, designed it in such a way that he is preparing the food for the next generation, the nourishment and nutrients for the next generation, unseen to his eye, he trusts that there is a process taking place. You know, one of the things we need to understand in order to be patient, and remember, patience is not just waiting, and it is most certainly not waiting idly. Patience is serving God in the right spirit while we're waiting. One of the things we need to know in order to do that is we need to understand that God has a plan for what He's doing. And that if we were to be able to raise a harvest back to back to back, what would we wind up with? We'd wind up with a jungle. We'd wind up overgrown and overrun. There's a plan and a process to all of it. Hey, listen, uh, God may not be answering in the timing and in the way that you're expecting, but you've got to come to terms with the fact that God's God and you're not. And He knows what He's doing better than you do, better than I do. There is a process to this thing that God is employing and that God is working. And you might not see it working, but that doesn't mean it's not working. The same thing could be said about the atmosphere and the moisture that moves around various large bodies of water that bring those early and latter rains. But the reality is this, no man's an island unto himself. Our lives touch those around us, and God's never doing just one thing at a time. God's doing something in somebody else's life while He's doing something in your life. There may be times when you have to wait on what God's doing, but God's always doing something. We see the expectation of patience. Notice the experience of patience. What is it going to be like when we're patient? Well, notice the first thing. We see the strength of patience in verse number 8. He says, be ye also patient. In other words, he's saying, look, the farmer's patient. Why can't you be patient? Can I just pause there and say this? That as unpredictable as the weather is, if the farmer can expend all the energy and money and time that he does trying to raise crops, knowing that a frost could come, knowing that the rain could withhold itself or he could even get too much rain, then why can't we serve God even when things aren't like we expect it to be? God is more faithful than all of creation. In fact, the faithfulness of creation is based upon the promise of God. Why can't we be faithful even when there's dry spells? Why can't we be faithful even when there's not enough rain or even when there's too much rain, when things are easy, when they're difficult? The reality is this, that we have a God more faithful than the changing seasons. He deserves our faithfulness because of His faithfulness. So He says, be ye patient also. Then He says, establish your hearts. Now that word establish, it essentially means to strengthen, to make stable, to fortify. How do we fortify ourselves in patience? Well, we do so by knitting our heart to God because God is always on time. God's never slow in what He does. God's never fast in what He does. And God's never idle in what He does. So if we knit our hearts in communion unto God, then we'll find the strength that we need. And, you know, it's interesting. You can imagine in your mind as James writes this to a bunch of people that are terrified that somebody might be getting ready to bust through their door and carry them off to take their head off. Uh, you know that James himself had his head chopped off. Uh, and you can imagine the terror that must have filled their hearts. And it's like he says, this steady folks steady 
God's got control of this. Steady your hearts. Listen, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. If we can fix our mind on Christ, it'll stabilize our heart. We need to remind ourselves that He's able. But then notice the source of patience. The strength of it is where to establish our hearts, but the source, he says this, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. You understand that it draweth nigh whenever James wrote this, and it's all the more nigh tonight as we sit here. That should both encourage us and motivate us. And he's going to talk here in a little bit about that motivation, but let it encourage you to know this, that this world will not stay this way for long. Jesus is coming back. The time is short. If it drew nigh in James' day, then imagine how much closer it is today. How much nearer. If James could say it draweth nigh, then can't you and I say it draweth nigh too? The source of this patience is the firm belief and understanding that the return of Christ is imminent and could happen at any moment. We may be less than 30 minutes away from the rapture. Or we may be 30 years from it. I don't know. Nobody does. The Scripture tells us that not even the Son knows. But we understand by virtue of what imminence is, that it's, and he says it here in a moment, it's at the door. At the door. We could be, listen, you understand this could be the last church service you ever sit in. This could be the last sermon you ever hear. It could be the last sermon I ever preach. That's how close the coming of the Lord is. It's upon us. We see the experience of patience. Notice the extension of patience in verse number 9. In light of that, he says this, Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. I want you to think about the fact, number one, we're called to gentleness. Gentleness with one another. When he says grudge, that word literally means to groan. In fact, the Bible uses it in uh, Romans chapter 8 when it says, The whole creation groaneth and travaileth together until now. And it carries with it the idea of groaning and sighing. And can I just put it in plain old hillbilly language? He says, don't be put out with each other. Because the judge is standing at the door. It's easy to get put out. It is. It's funny, we have a standard that we hold others to and a standard we hold ourselves to. And I found this to be true, that the standard we hold ourselves to is far easier than the standard we hold others to. You know, something that would be a good practice in your life is if you'd find a way to reverse those. Quit being easy on yourself and hard on others and start being easy on others and hard on yourself. And you'll find you'll have a heart of compassion the way that the Lord does. It's so easy to get put out with each other, to get frustrated, to get to do exactly what this word implies, just to just sigh, groan, and get put out to grudge one another. But the Bible says we're not to do that. We're to be patient. We're to be long-suffering with each other. You know why we're to be long-suffering? Because the time is not long. I wonder how you'd feel if your grudge outlasted the day of grace. Because that's what he says in the next phrase. We're called to gentleness, but he says we're to consider the judgment that's coming. He says, lest ye be condemned. Now, of course, he's not talking about being sent to hell. But he's talking about judgment. And we know that because he says, behold, the judge standeth before the door. I wonder if you're ready to go to meet Jesus with that grudge in your heart. I wonder if you're ready to go to meet Jesus 
with the way that you've been treating other folks around you. Be it by your actions, attitude, or the inward recesses of your heart. I wonder if it'd be worth it. I Listen, I'm not, I'm not above reproach. I'm not saying I've never had grudges or been bitter heartened. I'm not saying that I'm without blemish or blame. I'm just talking to us as human beings, right? Would you be satisfied to stand before the Bema seat of Christ with your heart in the condition it's in right now? The judge stands at the door. Remember what patience is, right? Patience is waiting in a right spirit with right actions. Patience is sourced and based in the fact that Jesus could come at any moment. Patience should not breed idleness. It should breed devotion. And part of that involves our behavior and actions towards one another. Would we be satisfied to stand before Christ with an attitude in our hearts that exists of of bitterness or malice or frustration towards somebody that He died for? Somebody that He loves. And He loves you too. But don't forget He loves them. You know, sometimes we think, well, he loves them, but he really loves me. No. He loves them every bit as much as he loves you. They're his child like you're his child. They're saved. We're called to gentleness, and we ought to consider the judgment. Notice the next verse, verse 10. We have in verses 10 and 11 the example of patience given to us. And the first thing that's pointed to is the resolve of the prophets in verse 10. He says, "...take my brethren the prophets." who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Now, when we talk about the Old Testament prophets suffering affliction, I promise you this, that there's no one in this room has been through what Jeremiah went through. There's no one in this room been through what Daniel went through. There's no one in this room that's given up what Moses gave up. There's no one in this room that's died a death like Isaiah did, being sawn asunder by the evil king Manasseh. They've all experienced worse than we experience. Then look at the converse side of it. Look at their patience. You know, Paul wrote about them in Hebrews chapter 11. He said, these all died not having received the promises. Every one of them died without ever seeing the Holy Ghost take up resident, permanent residency in people's hearts. All of them died without ever seeing Israel become the permanent homeland of the Jewish nation. All of them died without ever seeing Israel turn with a full heart to their God. In other words, every one of them left this world without seeing the full realization of the promises God gave. But they stayed faithful. In other words, it wasn't theirs to know the times and the seasons which the Father hath in His power. You remember that's what the Lord said to the disciples. They asked Him, they said, Lord, wilt thou at this time set up thy kingdom? He said, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons which the Father hath in His power. We're not the one running this thing. What we need to know is our job. We don't have to know what everybody else's job is. You remember whenever Peter and John and all the disciples were sitting there beside the Sea of Galilee after the Lord had risen, but the story in John uh, chapter 21 uh, centers around uh, Peter and John, and there by the seashore, uh, the Lord looks at Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? He says, Thou knowest I do, Lord. He says, Feed my sheep. And then finally he looks at him and says, Peter, there's going to come a day when you're going to be, uh, right now you gird yourself and you go where you want to, but there's going to come a time another's going to gird you and carry you whether thou wouldest not. John said he spoke this of his death, meaning he was going to die a martyr's death. 
And Peter looked over at John and said, What about this one? What about John? And the Lord said, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. In other words, he said, You don't worry about what John's doing. John's life ain't your responsibility. Your responsibility is to serve me in, in light of the truth that I have related to you, Peter. The prophets were able to serve. God gave them, gave them a commission to preach truth they'd never see realized. They didn't have to know when. They didn't have to know how. All they had to know was what the message was that God had given them. Patience involves staying in your own lane and not getting in everybody else's. Serving the Lord with what you know to be your responsibility. They served without ever seeing the realization. But then I want you to notice in verse 11, we're reminded of the reward of Job. The Bible says, Behold, we count them happy which endure. (laughs) Isn't that funny the way God says that? See, when it's somebody else enduring, we say how blessed they are. But when it's us having to endure, we say how burdened we are. We look back at Job and say, Oh, look how God blessed Job. But we forget about when God turned His hand against Job. It says, Behold, we count them happy which endure. It's easy to talk about enduring when it's not you having to endure. Patience is built for when things are bad, not when things are good. Faith is built for when the road is tough, not when it's smooth. And all of the things that we laud and value and, and uphold and appreciate are not built for easy living. They're built for when the road is steep. We count them happy which endure. He says, you have heard of the patience of Job. And then he says this, I like this. You've seen the end of the Lord. You've heard of the patience of Job, but you've seen the end of the, of the Lord. You understand that Job probably went to his grave never knowing about the conversation that God had with Satan. We have no reason to believe that Job was ever privy to the conversation that God had with Satan. In fact, all Job knew was this, that when the end of the Lord comes, the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. We have no reason to believe that Job ever understood till he got to heaven what his sufferings were all about. It wasn't making sense that made it work, that made it right. You know what got him through? It wasn't knowing the plan. It was knowing the sovereign God. It wasn't knowing. It wasn't making sense out of Here's what we think sometimes. If I just figure all this out, then it'd be easier. But that's not necessarily true. It's not the figuring of everything out that's going to see you through and sustain you. What's going to see you through and sustain you is getting your eyes fixed on the God of glory who's full of pity, who's full of tender mercy, who's full of loving kindness and of compassion. If you can just get your mind fixed on the fact that God loves you and that nothing in your life is there to hurt you but to help you, then that will see you through. That breeds patience in our life. Then I want you to notice the final thing, and I'm done. We see the expression of patience. So we know what patience feels like. It establishes our hearts. We know how patience causes us to treat one another because patience will breed gentleness in our life and an awareness of the judgment that's coming. We understand what patience looks for. It looks for the coming of the Lord. And there's a precedent for that and a process that should steady our hearts and calm our nerves. 
But what is it going to look like when other people look at our lives? What should patience look like? Look at verse 12. The Bible says, but above all things. Now that's interesting, isn't it? I think there's a wrong interpretation of this verse that has prevailed amongst a lot of preachers and commentators. And I'm not claiming to have the secret key that unlocks it all. But I'm just saying this. It says, But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay be nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. And here's what I've heard. I mean, I read several commentators all said the same thing, that this is talking about swearing and cursing. Now, let me say I'm against cursing. Amen? I'm against it. The Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. I'm against that. But I don't think that's what it's talking about. I think what it's talking about is swearing an oath that you're going to do something. And the reason I believe that is because the next phrase, he says, let your yeas be yeas and your nays be nays. He's saying, let your yeses really be yeses. And let your noes really be no. In other words, we have a tendency of saying this, why I promise, Lord, I'm going to do it one day. I swear to the Lord that I will one day do this or that. And you know what that is? That's a, that's a yes, but it's a yes with a condition. It's a yes with a waiting period. It's a yes with a, I will when this changes. And James says, hey, don't do none of that. Let your yeas be yeas and let your nays be nays. You know, I think if we would let our nays be nay, then we, we'd find it easier to let our yeas be yay. <laughs> you say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, I think if, for instance we would just be honest with what we're saying. Like, for instance, let's talk about giving for a moment. It's a good time to do it on a Wednesday night because if it empties the church, there ain't as many people leave mad. If we say, one day I'm going to give to the Lord, what we're really saying is, I'm not going to give to Him right now. When we say, one day I'm going to get serious about studying my Bible, what we're really saying is, right now I won't get serious about it. When we say, one day I'm going to pray, what we're really saying is, today I'm not going to pray. When we say, one day I'm going to be faithful to church and to the Lord, what we're really saying is, right now I'm unwilling to be faithful to the Lord in His house. If we'd let our nays be nay, we'd probably be more apt to say, I guess I should let my yay be yay and I should get busy serving God. All that swearing that oath does. And we don't say it in those terms. Listen, I don't guess I've ever heard anybody say, I swear by the Lord of heaven that one day I will be more faithful to God's house. I've never heard anybody say that. But we say things like, I promise one day I will. I mean it, preacher. One day, one day I'm going to get in my Bible. What day is the one day? What day is the one day? What's it going to take in your life and mine to get us serious about the Lord? I see in this passage that oaths are prohibited. We ought not live life on the promise of tomorrow. And here's why. Because oaths are precarious. Notice the last phrase. Lest ye fall into condemnation. Here's the truth. That day that you're always talking about may never come. And you may go to your grave not having done what you told the Lord you were going to do. You may go to your grave never getting faithful, never being serious, never praying, never witnessing, never doing any of these things when you always live on the delusion of a tomorrow that you're not promised. See, patience doesn't say, I'm going to wait and one day I'll do it. Patience says, I'm going to wait, but while I'm waiting, I'm going to do what I can do. 
Patience is waiting in a right spirit with a right activity. And I promise you this, a good way to get old and never do anything for God is to always be thinking about tomorrow and never today. It's a good way to lay on your deathbed and realize you're about to fall into condemnation. Here's the thing. It don't, you don't always fall into condemnation by a bus coming down the road and running over top of you or an aneurysm going in your head or, or, or your heart giving out. That ain't always how it happens. A lot of times you just get too old or too feeble or too weak to be able to do for God what you wanted to do. And one thing that is promised, you remember I told you at the beginning of the message that patience is a right estimation and approximation of the value of now, of the present. Patience is saying that it's not just someday that is valuable for God. It's today that's valuable for God. And here's the truth. Even if one day comes, you can't get back the days between now and then. They're gone. You understand that when you put it off, what you're saying is today is worthless for the cause of Christ. I can't do anything for God today. Patience isn't just waiting. Patience is getting busy while we wait and serving God with the moments and time that we have now. We all need a good dose of patience. And I don't mean waiting, I mean working and serving the Lord. I hope we'll learn to be like the prophets of old, to be patient and to be diligent and to be devoted to the cause of Christ because we may never get one day, but we do have two days. Let's get busy for the Lord.